Master's College. Greetings from Israel. It's my privilege and honor to introduce the speaker today, a good friend and colleague, a person who is an example as a husband and a father, and somebody who I'm sure many of you will agree encourages us and challenges us all to know the scriptures better. He's a man who loves the land of Israel because he loves the God of Israel. encourage you to think about going to Ibex for a semester. <laughs> it is a special place because the Lord revealed himself there, beginning with Abraham and then on through his son who he sent. Well, that did throw me off. Um, I want to uh, encourage you to even to go, go somewhere else, I want to make another announcement this morning uh, that's really exciting, a great opportunity. Every two years, the Master's College takes a trip to Turkey and Greece, and we're going back this, this year. We're going right after Christmas, and, and uh, it's an amazing opportunity to see the New Testament come to life. We're going to walk in the footsteps of Paul. We're going to see the, the book of, of Acts just come to life, see some of the most famous cities. It's a two and a half week trip. You get credit uh, for, for taking some classes and, and uh, I'm taking the trip. I'd love to have you, have you come with us this year. We have 40 spots. Master's College students get first choice. You have to sign up now and then after, on April 1st we're going to open it up to, to friends and to alumni. But if you sign up now then, uh, then you can go. I want to give you the top five reasons to go to Turkey and Greece, and I might have some pictures up here to, to, to back this up. Five reasons why you should go to Turkey and Greece with us this coming December. We're leaving right after Christmas. The first one is this. We're going to travel to places that Paul visited on all three of his missionary journeys, including Ephesus. We're going to Philippi. We're going to Antioch of Pisidia, as well as to Thessalonica. And every day, we're going to be walking through the book of Acts. Reason number two, we're going to visit all seven churches mentioned in Revelation, including Laodicea, Smyrna, Pergamum, and Sardis. You know, two weeks from now, the Bible department faculty, we're doing a series. We're going to, they're going to be looking at some of the letters there to the churches to Revelation. But after our trip, you're going to be able to say, I was there at all of them. Here's a third reason why you should consider going with us. We're going to see the world-famous sites of the Parthenon in Athens, the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul. We're going to go to the home of the, the Trojan horse 
and the hot springs of Pamukkale. Reason number four, we're going to, on location, read the letters that Paul wrote. We're going to stand in Corinth and read parts of First and Second Corinthians. We're going to walk through Philippi and read Philippians. We're going to climb Colossae and read the letter to the Colossians. We're going to look at Ephesians and Philemon, First and Second Thessalonians on the spot. We'll stand on top of the Areopagus, that's Mars Hill. And we're going to listen to Paul's speech that he gave to the philosophers. Here's a fifth reason, and for me, this is the best one for me. I've been to all these places many times. I love them. They're, they're, they're uh, so, so um, interesting and fascinating and educational. But we're going to travel with the best professors and guides in Turkey and Greece, including Mark Wilson. Mark Wilson wrote the book called Biblical Turkey, and he is our guide. And I've been looking forward to going with Mark for 10 years now. And this is going to be the chance. He also is the director of the Seven Churches Network. So our goal in making this trip, why we have this trip, is so that you can see the New Testament on location. You can see the words of, of, of Scripture come to life in ways you can't imagine. And this is the best trip that I know of anywhere in the world. I don't know of all the trips, but all the ones that I know of, can't imagine a better trip. We're going to spend more days traveling to more sites, learning from the best instructors than any other college or seminary. We have 40 spots. You get first choice. You need to download an application, masters.edu slash turkey. Can you remember that? Masters.edu slash turkey. There's an itinerary there. Send a link to your parents. Tell them, ask them, pray with you. See if this Lord's will. It's 4200 bucks, which is... Not cheap, but I don't think you'll ever find it cheaper in doing more. So if you have questions, check out the website. Come and see me. I'd love to talk to you about it. Or Shelby Collins, uh, you can talk to her in the biblical counseling department. All right? So I encourage you to consider that, pray about that, do that if that's God's will. But go ahead now and turn to the book of Psalms. And uh, I wanna, we're going to start here in the book of Psalms. We're not going to end there, but we're going to start there. Because this morning... I want to talk to you about trials and suffering. And I want to give you a path through them. I want to give you a way to survive, a way to keep the faith, and a way to honor God. You may not realize it now, but you have some difficult days ahead. I don't know when they are. It might be this afternoon. It might be in five years. It might be longer. But your boat's going to be rocked. Some of you are, are in the midst of the storm right now, and, and what I'm going to say may, may really help you right now. And some of you, life may just be easy sailing, and you're kind of like, suffering, trials, like, I don't need to listen to that. It's hard to imagine what's going to go wrong. But I'll tell you from my experience, and I've been, you know, I started 20 years ago teaching at Ibex. So it's been 20 years. Met a lot of students who've gone through a lot of trials, and a few of them myself. And you can't imagine. You don't know. It might be like uh, one of, that was actually when I was here in college, a roommate whose parents told him after he came down to school here that they were getting divorced. It might be like another one of my students whose doctor told him that he had 
and uh, you know, maybe your dad will be diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. Maybe your fiancé will hand the ring back and say that she doesn't want to see you again. Or the pastor of your church may resign after having an affair. Maybe your husband will reject Christ and become an atheist. These are things that have happened in the lives of my students. Your firstborn could be, your first child could be born with a severe birth defect. Your husband could be arrested and sent to prison. You're living in a foreign country. You fly out for a brief trip. You come back, they won't let you in. They won't let you go home. They deport you. After 20 years of marriage, your husband walks out on you and your kids. Maybe you sacrifice to take another job and then you're abruptly fired. Maybe you feel that God's called you to the mission field, but after several years of trying to raise support, you still don't have enough. Or it could be that your wife suddenly has crippling headaches and makes it difficult for her to function. And years later, they haven't stopped. You turn in your doctoral dissertation, and a year later, you still haven't heard back from the professor. While serving the Lord on the mission field, you're in a horrible vehicle accident that results in lifelong injuries. Or maybe it's just something as simple as you're about to graduate, and you don't have a clue what's next. Or you feel the Lord would have you marry. It's been a desire of your heart, but, but you don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know what it is. I don't know. The Lord works in different ways, and it's a, it's a broken world full of sin, and, and I don't know what, what trials the Lord may or may not have for you, but very few people are exempt from them. And so the question is, is not really whether you're going to have them, but how you're going to respond to them. Are you going to, to trust the Lord, or are you going to doubt Him? Is your faith going to crash? Will you trust God when it looks like He's not there? Because it's easy to do it. It's easy to trust Him when it looks like you know, everything's going well, when His presence is obvious. But what about when, it, when, it, when it's not? So I want to try to prepare you this morning. I want to give you a strategy for persevering through trials. I want to give you three steps. Here's, I'm really trying to really be simple this morning. I really want this to be easy to remember. It's going to be solidly biblical, but easy that you can remember for the time when, when the trial hits so that you have comfort in your soul and that God gets glorified. The first is this, to cry out to God. You start where you are, and when you hear the news, or when the incident happens you start with your hurt when you're unfairly fired or you're betrayed by a friend you don't pretend that everything's okay you don't just mouth some glib saying that well God's sovereign and you're going to get there but scripture teaches us and we're, we're going to look at Psalm 6 right now scripture teaches us to acknowledge our our pain to to not deny it we don't mask it we don't fake it we don't minimize it. Don't put on a stiff upper lip and just pretend like everything's okay. On the other hand, you don't go on a Netflix binge and stuff your face or whatever and just like that's going to make it all go away. That's not going to soothe your soul and it certainly is not going to glorify the Lord. 
The Psalms are so helpful because they lead us right to God. Right from our pain, they take us into His presence in our time of trial. And they do it by being honest. I don't know how much you know about the book of Psalms, but there are different types of Psalms. There are praise Psalms. In fact, in Hebrew, the name of the book is not Psalms, it's praises. Uh, but there's, there's other ones too. There's Zion Psalms. I like those. Um, it's good to sing a song of Zion in Jerusalem. There are Torah Psalms. There are Psalms of Ascent. But you know, there's actually more of another kind of psalm than any of those. Even more than praise Psalms, there are more lament Psalms, which makes them very easy to find. Just Especially in the first half of Psalms, open any page and there's going to be a lament psalm somewhere on the page and probably two or three because this is a, a hurting world and there is a lot of pain and David most many of them were written by David so t- psalm 6 I want to read I want to read some of these I want to read the first uh, seven verses from psalm 6 I could there's a lot I could pick I, I chose this one. Oh Lord Do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. No one remembers you when he is dead. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my sores. You know, David's in a bad spot. We don't know the historical circumstances. It's not given to us, and we can speculate. You know, maybe this is the time when his own son betrayed him and tried to kill him. Maybe it was the time when his close friend Joab tricked him and ended up killing another one of his friends. We don't know, and we don't need to know. What, what we need is to see is David's response. When David was in the dark hour, how did David respond? But, you know, look at a few things with me. Look back here, and you see in the first verse, David's crying out, Oh, Lord. In the next verse, Lord. In the next verse, actually, In the first four verses, David is crying out to the Lord five times. He's not complaining against God. He's crying out to God. Let me suggest to you that this pleases God. That God is honored when His children seek Him in their pain. He's not honored when He's ignored. You know, my son, my son Jonathan, is sitting there right now five years old. I have a couple other boys in high school, and my daughters are here also. But if my son Jonathan's out riding in front of our house, and a dog comes up and bites him, and um, if he were to say, well, I'm not going to go and talk to my dad, I'm not, you know, what can he do? You know, he's not going to help protect me from the dog or help me to get, you know, the, the care I need. That, that wouldn't honor me. If he's going oh, I'll go ask my friend instead. He can really He's the one who can fix the problem. That would, that would not honor me as his father. It would make me look small. And that's the same it is with the Lord. When we seek out other refuges, we do not honor him. It's when he looks to me and cries out to me that 
and reflect His trust in my ability and in my goodness. But you see too here that Psalm 6, that David is very honest about his situation. He doesn't, doesn't minimize it. He says he's faint. His bones are in agony. His soul is in anguish. He's flooding his bed with tears. David, David knew suffering. And he wasn't, wasn't afraid to just be honest, just be authentic with God. He's not faking his relationship. God knows. We don't need to pretend. We cry out to him in our pain. And I'll give you one other example, and it's going to be quick here, so I'll put there, but I don't know if I'm going to give you enough time to get to 1 Kings 17. But Elijah, so Elijah, the great prophet, he goes and he's staying in the home of a widow and her young son, and the son dies. And what does is, what is, what is Elijah do? He doesn't say, oh, you know, God's sovereign. It's not just some sort of pat theological answer. God is sovereign, and, and that's, that's reflected in his cry, but he does cry out in 1 Kings 17, verse 20. He says, Oh, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Very raw, honest answer, cry to the Lord. He doesn't pull any punches. But he knows God's sovereign. He knows he's sovereign over death, and he knows he's sovereign over life. And in fact, the Lord's going to use Elijah in this case to raise the child from the dead, but it doesn't always work that way. I could give a lot of other examples, but the point here, I think, is really clear, that we need to cry out to God. We seek Him in prayer. We pour out our tears to Him because He hears and He cares and He loves you. Well, the second step that I want to suggest to you in persevering in trials is to cling to the truth. So first you cry out to God, but then as you wait for Him to respond, because doesn't always or doesn't even often respond quickly, in the midst of that, you cling to the truth. Hold fast to what you know is true. And I want to, sh- I want to show you what I mean here by, from, from the life of Isaiah. So going to turn over to Isaiah chapter 8. Not, probably not such a familiar passage to many of you. I'm going to summarize the background and then focus in on Isaiah's response. Here's the background. Isaiah just given a message to the king of Judah. Trust God. And Ahaz said, no, thank you. And so Isaiah says, well, in that case, if you're going to trust someone besides God, then They're going to be your refuge. In fact, they're going to come and destroy you. And so the Assyrians are on their way. It's devastating news, not only to Judah, but also to Isaiah and to his family and to his disciples. And so the Lord, here in chapter 8, gives Isaiah a personal word of encouragement. In verses 12 through 15, the Lord says not to fear the coming darkness, but to fear the Lord only. And then in verses 16 and 17, here's what Isaiah says. Bind up the testimony. Seal up, among, seal up the law among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. The darkness is coming. 
And Isaiah's response is, I will cling to the truth. What God has already revealed is absolutely certain, and that means there's hope. And so Isaiah says he's going to wait for the Lord, even though, what does he acknowledge, right? He is hiding his face. But Isaiah knows God's truth is in his word. Skip down to verse 20. What What does he say? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Isaiah's hope was God's word. He knew the truth and he clung to it. I'm going to jump over to Isaiah chapter 50. There's all, all kinds of places we could go, but, but here's, here's one. Isaiah chapter 50 in verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant. Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. And Isaiah was walking through a dark time. But he clung to the truth. He trusted in the Lord. Reminds me of a well-known statement by Raymond Edmund. Never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. Never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. There's another way to say this. Actually, a number of times in the, in the scriptures. Another way to, to, to phrase this, cling to the truth, and, and that is, we, we see it one time where Paul is saying, put on the armor of God. What's the chief command in the armor of God? It's not attack. It's not go out into battle. It's not this it's stand firm ephesians 6 14 when paul wrote to the philippians and they were going through difficult trials his prayer for them philippians 4 1 is that they would stand firm jesus said it james said it peter said also the same thing all said stand firm luke 21 19 jesus says it james 5 8 1 Peter 5, 9, stand firm, cling to the truth. You can stand firm in the midst of severe trials by clinging fast to God's truth, not doubting in the dark what he has told you in the light. So number one, cry out to God. Number two, cling to the truth. And the third thing, in the midst of a trial, is to claim the promises. I'm going to spend a little more time on this one. Claim the promises. Talking now about the promises that God has made to his children in his word. I'm talking about eternal, absolute, secure promises that you can bank your life on that are, that are bigger than your worst nightmare. Let me ask you right now. If you walk out of chapel and you get a phone call, and it's not a good phone call, What promise would you call to mind? What promise in God's word that he's made to his children would you you think on? Your world is spinning. What's going to give you some stability? What's going to be the anchor for your soul in that dark hour? Or when the doctor calls you in. If it's good news, they call you. If it's bad news, you go into the office. 
What promise have you memorized? Let's do this. Some of you are taking notes. Go ahead and write it down. Or you know several of them. Write them down. You want to be brief? If you know a bunch of them, you can be brief. If you know, you know one, write it all out. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just take a minute. We're going to listen to the drill while you uh, write, it, write it down. You need, to, you need to have it down. Write down the promise, promises, scripture verses that are in your heart that are going to stabilize you in the storm. this was class and not the gym, I'd call on you to tell me what you wrote down. But it's a little bit tougher in the gym, but maybe at lunch or this evening in the dorm, you want to ask your roommate or your friend, what did you write down? And share with each other. Encourage each other with promises of God. But I want to mention a few that are particularly precious to me and and, and, and maybe to fill out your list. And maybe some of you didn't write any down. And maybe you don't, don't have something. So let me suggest a few for you. Maybe the most well-known, and maybe you know, more of you wrote down uh, this than any other, Romans 8.28. That's a good one, right? Romans 8.28. What does it say? We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. We've been called according to His purpose. That's such a solid promise that God is working for our good. The key is it's easy to believe that when things are going good, when it's, when it's Disney week. But every week's not Disney week. And we have to believe this when we can't see it, when it doesn't look like it's true, when it doesn't seem like God is working for your good. I'm going to go back to Psalms. Here's one of my favorites. Psalm 84, verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those whose walk is blameless. That's amazing. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is, is blameless? That, that's a good one to remember when your doctor tells you that you have cancer. The question then is, God, how can I trust you to use this disease for your glory and for my good? Here's another one in Psalms, chapter 30, Psalm 34, and verse 9. And ten. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry. But those who seek the Lord lack 
no good thing. You know, I think that means that, that God's even able to pay your tuition bill. There's no good thing for those who seek Him not. Here's another one. This is probably familiar to many of you, but worth making a note of, worth, worth memorizing. Philippians 1.6 Being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know what that means is that even if your husband abandons you, that God will not. He will use the sins of others to finish the work of salvation that He has begun in you. And here's one from my friend Isaiah. Isaiah 41, verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Are these just words? Just easy for God to say? Just, just say it, but that's not really true. How do you, how do you know? What's, what's the guarantee that God's promises, that He will fulfill them? You've got to go to Romans 8. Back to Romans 8. This is, this is such a powerful verse. Romans 8.32 is a guarantee that you can know that God's going to follow through, that whatever the problem is, whatever the trial is you're facing, is not too big. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. The proof that God will fulfill His Word, the proof that God will meet every need is that He already did the hardest possible thing. And if He did that, everything else is easy by comparison. I encourage you to memorize that verse. We don't control God. We have to remember that. We don't, we don't read these promises and dictate to Him His course of action. He's sovereign. He controls the situation and the timing. And that's clear in Hebrews. After the long list of all of these individuals who live by faith, trusting Him in some very, very difficult times, it says this in, Romans, or in, in Hebrews 11, Verse 39, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. They claimed the promises, they knew that God would fulfill them, even though they didn't see them. And one example of those is, is Abraham, so I'm going back to Romans, where God had made promises to Abraham, but it didn't seem like they were coming to pass. What did, he, what did Abraham do? How did he respond? This is our model. Romans 4, verse 20 and 21. Yet he did not waver. Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, 
being fully persuaded that God had power to do what He had promised. That needs to be you. And that needs to be me. We need to be able to put our name in that verse that we did not waver but were strengthened in our faith and gave glory to God. Let me give you a few more. Romans 8.31, I've read 8.28 and 8.32, and now I'm going to go to 8.31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Or Matthew 6. 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You know, Charles Spurgeon said something amazing. Listen to this. I would rather, I would sooner walk in the dark and hold hard to a promise of God than to trust in the light of the brightest day that ever dawned. Let me read that again. I would sooner walk in the dark and hold hard to a promise of God than to trust in the light of the brightest day that ever dawned. So let me encourage you to memorize some of those promises, to have them in up here. Because when, you know, trials come in different ways, and I'm not, they're not all going to surprise you. Some are going to come slowly, and some are going to hit you like a truck. But you'll want to have them in your heart You want to have them engraved on your brain to call to mind God's truth, to give you hope, to stabilize your world. Let me give you one other idea. And it it just goes right along with this. And that is to identify some songs that speak truth. To find some some songs that, that have recorded maybe Scripture directly or, or maybe a, a version of, the, of it that, that, that speaks truth, that, that, that recalls God's promises. Because sometimes in the dark hour, your head is spinning so fast that it's really hard to pull a verse out. And sometimes you just need to hit the play button and let what someone else has already recorded in advance, a song that you've identified, maybe make a playlist, for that time in advance this song this song maybe you know for me sovereign grace has been very helpful in difficult days or or, or maybe um you know jen uh, uh turned on to fernando ortega or, or maybe it's a, a, a cd from the chorale and maybe you pick out some of the certain songs in there hymns that have been recorded and you have them at hand and when when you need them, you can find them and just listen to God's truth to, to, to give you stability, to give comfort to your soul so that you can give glory to God. And I need to wrap up real quickly here, but I just want to say this, and I'm not going to prove this. This would take almost another message, really, but I just assert, at least, that Jesus did this, that when Jesus faced trials, this is how he responded. Jesus cried out to God and Jesus clung to the truth and Jesus clung to the promises. 
That was his way through a dark hour. When he's on the cross, he was crying out from a lament psalm, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet when the men came to arrest him and the disciples were pulling out swords and then fleeing away from him, Jesus clung to the truth. And he said, do you not think that my father will send 12 legions of angels? That was true and he knew it. He couldn't see it, but he knew it and he clung to the truth. But he knew it was God's will for him to go through, through that dark hour. And Jesus claimed the promises. When Jesus was on trial and his life was at stake, he was quoting scripture out of Daniel, saying, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One. That's on the other side of the cross. That was on the other side of the, of the, of the trial. But Jesus knew it was true. He claimed the promise. Maybe seemed crazy at the time. But it strengthened him, fortified his faith, to walk through the awful hour for the glory of God and for your good and mine. Let's pray. Father, I don't know, we don't know what you have in store, but we want to be ready. We don't want to dishonor you when when we can't see light, when it's just so dark. We, 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 don't, we, don't, our faith, we don't want our faith to crumble. We want to be strong. We want to be comforted. We want to find hope in you. And so, Lord, right now, for many, maybe an easier time, not for others, I know, but I pray that they would take advantage of this time to bank some of these truths, to memorize some of these verses, to, to choose even some songs, to be ready. And, and not only for themselves, but to, to, to help others, to, to be able to provide a, a comforting word in a, a difficult moment. Be glorified in us as we cry out to you, as we Cling to your truth and as we honor your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.